fellow kids, and you're listening to the podcast, Hello, Fellow Kids. You're hearing my voice right now because I took Josh by surprise. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> See how I feel every time because like, I'm not always expecting it, and then you do it, and then I'm just like, I forget any word I knew. <laughs> but you can tell them what episode this is because I don't know. Uh, this is episode 53. And we're reading Empty Smiles by Catherine Arden. We're finishing off the Small Spaces Quartet. And Empty yeah, Smiles that's what just released on the a couple book. weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, no, it finally, like, Mike, like, they finally have numbers on the spines now. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, just in time. Thanks. Uh, that and, like, it has a series title now because I remember you yep. saying, like, what do we call this? Yes. Yes, it officially has the Small Spaces Quartet. Yes. And we've covered all the seasons until until someone invents a fifth season, which is, of course, going to be called... Duck season. <laughs> Rabbit season. <laughs> Rabbit season. Duck season. Fire. Boom. <laughs> that, that made me laugh so hard when I was a kid. That was just like the height of humor for me was the duck season, wabbit season battle. Anyway, now that everyone knows I'm 800 years old. <laughs> um, so, how do we feel about Empty Smiles? I think that it was... Well, before you say anything, uh-huh. I know I asked, but now I'm going to like go to... Wait, I'll tell you what this book reminded me of. Like, okay. I finished the book and I sat there for a second, and this memory came back to me of when I was six or seven years old uh i we lived in these townhouse apartments on top of a hill and then along the hill were more that were they were lined by more townhouse apartments and at the bottom of the hill was a playground that was always under construction and you still played down there because there was nothing else to do so i rode my bike down that hill and it was like the fastest I'd ever gone down that hill, and I was just like, "Woo! Why have I never gone down this hill so fast before? I'm having such a good time." And then uh, I enter where the park begins, and there's gravel, and I thought, "Oh, I forgot about the gravel." So I'm like holding on to my handlebars as tight as I can, holding on, and I'm just like, "Okay, all right, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm keeping my balance, we're good." And I clear the gravel, and then I'm on the basketball court. I'm like, "Oh, thank God." And I forgot about the big truck tire that had been part of the playground but to play on, but they'd pulled it out when they were doing construction, so it was just laying on its side. And I was so like, oh, God, I'm over the gravel. I'm okay. I hit the tire. I fly over the front of my handlebars, hit the ground on my back, and lay there with my breath gone for a bit, trying to recover myself. And I was just like, oh, and then got to my feet, and not at all did I regret the ride, but the ride ended so abruptly <laughs> that even though I saw the end approaching, it still took me by surprise. That... And that is how I felt about this book. Uh, yeah, we can just close the episode there, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that it was one of, one of my more favorite entries uh, in terms of the spookums and stuff. But oh, yeah. it's, I think it's pretty disappointing as a series finale. Yeah, I was expecting a little bit more. I'm happy with what I got. Yeah. Like, I don't dislike but the book. It, it's like you've got... <laughs> no, totally not. It's like 
someone's like, I got you cake. And you're like, all right. And then like the cake you want, it kind of floats through your mind. And then they show you a cake, which is still nice, but you still were picturing something with sprinkles. And now there's no sprinkles. And you're like, oh, I would have liked sprinkles. Yeah, I just I just remember getting like I, I read it all in one day and I remember getting like halfway through and being like, OK, pacing for this is going to be a little interesting getting towards the end. And then around 50 pages left, I was like, I feel like there's still going to be quite a bit left to do. And then like 10, 15 pages, I was like, what is your plan, Catherine? <laughs> there's so much left. I feel like she probably thought these kids have been through enough. Let's make this last bit a little bit more easy. And then they just go straight to a happy ending. No ambiguity. Yeah. And it's just like, that's, that's okay. I see where you're going with this, but yeah, I feel like someone, okay. I read some of the reviews on Goodreads and someone said it probably needed about 20 to 50 more pages you know, and I was just like, I, yeah, I, I think it should have, I was with that person. I'm like, that's true. But the person giving it two stars and saying disappointing, disappointing, <laughs> they needed to take it down a notch because it is a middle grade series. And like, unless you're like nine going, boo, everyone else can shut up, you know? I think that if this book had been as long as it looks like it is, I think that she could have really, really stuck yeah. the series landing so well but it did the same thing that the last book did mm-hmm. where it has like 20 pages of previews for each of the previous books so 60 pages of the book you're buying are just previews of the previous books that's so deceptive and shitty i hated that yeah which i know is not then her fault. you told me that no she's not in <laughs> charge of marketing or like arranging the book that's on them what whoever the publisher is you're on notice Putnam. Opening the book and checking. Who am I threatening? Putnam. Um, anyway, uh, since I'm bored of this topic, uh, before we get the episode going, should you like right at the top read our, re- our reader mail? Yeah, so I don't so forget. They don't, so Good they don't call. have to sit through a whole episode and like be all like, they never read my thing. Unless they listen to every episode. Alright, let me pull up our inbox here. And it's not hate mail, so that's nice. Not, not that we've it's received not hate that. mail. Yeah, we don't we don't receive hate mail. We just don't receive much of anything that's directed at us specifically. Most of it is uh. It's just spam. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine how uh, making a publicly available email address could result in spam. Well, I mean, how else are we gonna find out our fraudulent Norton's antivirus is expiring? It's like that uh that meme. Uh, that's the little, the drawing of the guy on the bike, and he, like, puts the stick into the front spokes, and then falls over and, like, blames something else. Have you seen that, like, meme format? No, but it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is from a reader. A reader? Gosh dang it. This is from a listener, uh, who goes by the name... She's a reader, too. Probably. (laughs) She recommended books. I'd, I'd call her a reader. But she listens to us because we're not a visual medium. Uh, uh, Their name is Rose, and they say, Hello! I've been a listener of your podcast for a while now and have just recently thought about writing in. So here are my book recs, including some I really enjoy and some I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. Uh, We got Monstrous by Marcy Kate Connolly. 
The False Prince by Jennifer A. Nielsen, Awkward by Svetlana Chmakova. I don't know how to pronounce any of the words here. Um, <laughs> I apologize. Um, My Lady Jane by Jody Meadows, Cynthia Han, and Brody Ashton. And then The Coldest Girl in Cold Town by Holly Black. And then they say, that's all I have now. I hope at least one of them piques your interest. After listening to you two for a few years, I've uh, you've become one of my comfort podcasts. Excited for the next episode. Thank you so much. That's awesome to hear. Um, I have not read any of these personally. We've both read a good amount of Holly Black, though, and I think you might have read The Goldest Girl in Cold Town. I sure did read The Coldest Girl in Cold Town. It is a pretty rad book. I have never um, been disappointed by anything with Holly Black's name on it that I've picked up, so. To be fair, I've only read, like, two books by her, and one of them's Coldest Girl in Cold Town. And the other was Doll Bones, and you guys have heard us wax rhapsodic about Doll Bones okay, enough well, times. I guess but... I've read more than. Because I've read, I've read the, all the Spiderwick books, which is eight books and then i've read doll bones obviously i've read is it the darkest part of the forest is that one of hers is that what it's called um i think i think so that sounds right and then i read the the tithe trilogy yeah um i'm pretty behind on i've got the cruel prince Uh and i haven't read it yet these other ones i'm not super familiar with i recognize a couple of them from seeing them at the library um but yeah, like Jennifer Nielsen. I recognize <laughs> the name the Jennifer Nielsen so often. Yeah. yeah. That it made me, like, it's giving me pause. I don't know if I want to read it. Just based on, like, its appearance so often. And it's like, huh, this is in circulation a lot. Do people not hold on to this? Do people not like this? So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It might be interesting to read that just to see. If like you'd be like, yeah, I would toss this in a library as well. Um, Awkward is a young adult graphic novel. Um, monstrous. I think monstrous might also be a graphic novel. Is it? Or does it just have a cool looking cover? Can't tell. It looks interesting. I like the art on the cover. My Lady Jane sounds familiar. I feel like I saw it on the shelves not too long ago. I'm pretty sure I know what that one is. I think it's an alternate history where Jane Grey was not murdered and she got to become Queen of England. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that would be something that we haven't really dealt with. Oh, you like an alternate history timeline situation? Yeah. Yeah, that, that might, I don't know, that might be fun. I thought it looked kind of fun. I was like, well, that's a cool idea because I always hated the idea of this poor teenage girl getting murdered. Yeah. So I was like, oh, there's a there's a history where she lives. Cool, I'm in. <laughs> Unless she like dies in that book of something else. I don't know. Um, Anything could happen with like three authors. <laughs> what what ending did you put on the one we talked about? No, I just killed her off. Why did you do that? And then I sent it in. Ha ha. And I said, no, gives these vaccines. And the publisher said, what? And I said, you heard me. <laughs> and they said, ma'am, this is an Arby's. And I said, no, it's not. It's a publisher. And they said, bitches, say what? And I said, what? And then they laughed and hung up on me. I thought this was an email exchange. It was. <laughs> All that to say uh, that we will uh, we'll look into these. We have our next couple of slots 
we we basically have the rest of the year already mapped out, but um, we definitely will uh, look into some of these for uh, early next year's reading. I think My Lady Jane is probably the one that I'd be most interested in reading, but I like the art on Monstrous too. But yeah, we'll we'll look into those. Uh, but thank you so much for the recommendations. We really appreciate it. If you guys have recommendations, go ahead and send them to us at was it hfkpodcast at gmail dot com. Yes, indeed. Yeah, send send them, and uh, we'll read the thing. So be sure to write something real embarrassing that we look stupid saying out loud. Yeah, especially or, since or I'm don't. probably <laughs> going to be the one reading it. You will, because Gmail hates me and won't let me re- check the email. It texts you like, you know what this bitch is doing? And you're like, yes, let her in. <laughs> she has the password. They're like, nah, I don't know. Seems sus. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to get into Empty Smiles? Yeah, let's do this. Okay. All right, here we go. Empty Smiles, everybody. Last book in the series. We begin our story not with our usual group of buddies, but with a family of randos on their way to the annual summer carnival. The daughter of the family, named Ruth, is beyond stoked because a friend of hers told her that the carnival is different this year. This vague description doesn't entice Ruth's older brother, Tim. He'd rather be at the demolition derby, so he's a little car guy in the making. <laughs> but he forgets <laughs> But he forgets all about cars once the family sees the shiny, clowny carnival that just reeks of smiling man BS. The kids and parents split up, and somehow, with only $40, they're able to play every game, ride all the rides, and stuff their faces with piles of junk. Is this carnival from 1935, when everything cost 10 cents at most? Well, regardless of my economics lecture, it's time for the kids to meet up with their parents. It's 8 o'clock and getting dark. It gets even darker when they somehow, yeah, somehow, make a wrong turn and end up deep in an unpopulated section of the carnival, filled with empty ramshackle buildings, including a decrepit haunted house. Ruth wisely nopes out, but Tim's apparently never seen a horror movie and wants to investigate. His stupidity spurs a mysterious girl who readers readers will recognize as Ollie to urge them to GTFO. But it's too late. Yellow pairs of eyes surround them, and Tim and Ruth are seemingly absorbed into the carnival. A couple weeks later, Coco, Brian, and our less cool stand-in for Ollie, Phil Greenblatt, are hanging out at the local swimming hole with other uh, with their families. The parents are planning to split the kids up since they're still acting spooky and weird. This plan feels even more wrong-headed and cruel when we find out that Ollie wasn't erased from everyone's memory like Josh and I assumed at the end of the last book. No, they all think Ollie died in a boating accident. With the exception of Ollie's dad, all these parents suck wang. Meanwhile, the kids are tense and antsy, waiting for word from the smiling man so they can get Ollie back. Finally, their sign arrives. Poor stupid Tim, who should have gone to the demolition derby after all, arrives barefoot, screaming, and most of the way crazy. He says... The nice man told him to pass on a message, but the traumatized child has difficulty remembering it. The best he can impart is, need light, something about keys, three words for three keys, ghost, mirror, gate. Play it if you dare. Tim isn't able to clarify any of this because he's swarmed by well-meaning adults. So the kids have the message they've been waiting for, but as usual, it doesn't do much for their stress level. Uh, because of what happens later in the book, I felt really bad about that crack I made about Phil. I was like, I didn't know he heard me. <laughs> but um, uh, as as soon as he was like, they'll eat you if they catch you, or they'll hang you up. I was like, ah, beans! People are getting turned into dolls. 
Um, yeah, I immediately thought that, dude. I was like, gross. Well, actually, when they were describing the dolls and how every single one of them was different and really detailed, I was like, the dolls are people. I turned into, like, Soylent Green, like, yeah. <laughs> immediately. Um, the Dark Carnival thing, I mean, you know, it's not the first time that we've that somebody has done, like, a spooky carnival, but it always works for yeah, me. Right. Um, Same. I'm always down Same. for it. Uh, it did remind me of... Uh, Surely at least one person is like, oh man, is he a, a juggalo? Is he down with the clown? Oh. Uh, no, I'm not down with the clown. Uh, but it reminds me of, um, do you remember in 2008-ish, there was a PC game that everybody was really stoked about called Spore by the people who made The Sims? I was 21. I wasn't playing PC games. I'm sorry. No, I know, but your brother was. No, he wasn't. He played StarCraft. That's a PC game. It's not whatever you said. Okay. Anyway, no, I, I didn't. I didn't play it. I'm okay. sorry. I was just saying that when you're like a grown up and like in college and stuff, and you're me, you're not playing PC games, especially when you have a slow, crappy computer that your uncle's friend built, and you can't even get sound on it. So that was where I was at. <laughs> so it was a game where you could like design a bunch of different like creatures and like buildings and stuff like that. The idea was that you were taking a species from its earliest like primordial soup stages all the way through evolution into like intergalactic travel. But there was a huge subset of the community that didn't care about playing the game. They just liked designing the creatures and things like that. And I, yeah, uh, one of the things that I did was I did a series of possessed toys and dolls and stuff from like a dark carnival sort of thing that I like was writing lore for in the descriptions. And then I would make, um, I would make buildings that were just shaped like, uh, like open open books like haunted tomes and then i would in the description of those buildings i would write short stories about the different areas of the the carnival and stuff um i had kind of forgotten that i did that but reading this reminded me that that was a thing i did for quite a while actually so you forgot that you pretty much invented five nights at freddy's before it ever happened yep because that sounds like five nights at freddy's uh i could have been someone could have been a contender Instead of a no, I'm a nobody. Yeah, that's a real timely reference. I don't even know what Marlon Brando movie that was. That's how out of it I am. I didn't even know that was a Marlon Brando, so... I thought it was just a Marlon Marlon Brando. Brando. (laughs) Like this family. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Yeah. Smiling man BS. (laughs) We need a meme of, like, a picture of him. It's that it's always sunny in Philadelphia with a guy pointing, going, "I'm sick of this guy." <laughs> it's like how I feel about. I get very impatient with him in my notes. Yeah. But um, yeah. Um, should I continue? I that was pretty short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't really gotten into our our friends getting involved yet. So. Yeah, I like our friends. Okay, so shortly after the last book ended. Ollie woke up on a train. It traveled not in the real world, but through the world behind the mist. She and the smiling man played chess while she asked questions about her situation, and he won't answer because he's a dick. Uh, one day the train 
finally stopped and Ollie rushed out to find herself in the haunted house of a carnival. In fact, the carnival from the prologue of this book. But no one can see Ollie and she can't leave the grounds. She goes into a tailspin of panic, believing herself dead until the smiling man appears and reassures her that she's very much alive. No one can see her because they're behind the mist. So most people won't see her. She leaps on that most caveat, but he refuses to elaborate. Screw you and your Grateful Dead t-shirt, smiling man. (laughs) Ollie and the smiling man explore the carnival together, checking out everything except the funhouse, which, interestingly enough, seems to make our fair antagonist uneasy. Ollie and I put a pin in this. They end their fun day with the smiling man issuing a warning. Don't stray from your rooms at night. In the words of John Hammond, I really hate that man. Meanwhile, out in the real world, Coco tries to get more info from Tim and manages to ascertain that Tim saw Ollie. Then the cops show up and shit, man, even in middle grade literature, a cab. A distant cousin collects the mentally and emotionally shattered Tim. On the car ride home, Coco's mom is spooked by the whole experience and asks Mr. Adler to spend the night. I'm exasperated with her until she says she'll make up the guest room for him. How long have they been dating? I have so many questions that are none of my business. Mr. Adler has to pack a bag, so they stop by the egg, his whimsical house that's now just dusty and sad in the wake of Ollie's death. Mr. A offers to make the milkshakes, and Coco's mom takes this moment to lecture Coco for hounding Tim. Pretty rich, coming from a journalist. This shitty, unfair rebuke is Coco's breaking point, and she decides to snitch, to hell with stitches. She gets as far as saying that Ollie's alive, but has been taken by the same man who took Tim, when creepy shit shows up in the yard, interrupting Coco's snitching. The parents want to go investigate these noises, and it's like, seriously? Has all of Vermont not seen a single scary movie? There's a ruckus above in what was once Ollie's room, and they find it ripped to shreds. Coco urgently says they need to go home now. The smiling man is looking for something of Ollie's, and it happens to be in Coco's possession. A watch, perhaps? When Ollie's on the train, she, at one point theorizes that the train has to stay in motion for whatever reason, and then I was reminded of the movie Snowpiercer, which is a really good movie, based off of a not-very-good graphic novel. And now there's oh, a... that's kind of cool. Yeah. If you like to see things get improved upon, that's what they should adapt. Stuff that sucked. Yeah, they should... Like, all... We could probably you make should... this better. You should always... <laughs> always adapt three out of five-star things. Yes! <laughs> It's like, okay, realistically, how can we improve this? And then, like, improve it. Everyone's like, man, that movie was friggin' awesome. (laughs) Instead of, like, we can only disappoint from here. (laughs) Right. Like a five-star thing. Uh, Um, Yeah. The the train was interesting. Except not. No, I mean, (laughs) if anyone's ever been on a long train journey, it loses its appeal, like, day after day one. Then day two, you're like, oh, still on the train, huh? So, so it was <laughs> kind of sympathetic to Ollie, like, a lot. Seeing all of the the, the games that they play with the, the little dolls, um, and realizing that the dolls are people, which includes archery, and uh, throwing tiny little life preserver rings on dolls that are, like, drowning in the water. Like, what oh, sort God. of misery are they experiencing right now? Well, apparently really bad ones, because Tim was not okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he hadn't been a doll for too long. Right. Like, compared to some of those people. So. Right. Yeah. This has nothing to do with the text, but I did end up going through two highlight. Well, I, I used three highlighters over the course of the book, because two of them died on me. <laughs> 
They're quitters. Yeah. I don't think I have anything back in the real world, really. Um, I'll, I'll save that for the next section. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Are we ready for the next section? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, they were looking for the watch. Uh, <laughs> Coco gets home too late. <laughs> what else would it be? Like, oh, <laughs> I oh, you see, I, I brought his Frisbee, so he really wants it back. Anyway. Um, anyway, Coco gets home too late. The watch is gone. The magical watch they always use to communicate with Ollie's dead mother. Ollie's watch. The watch that is Ollie's. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. Okay. This is a huge blow in their struggle with the smiling man. Anyway, back to snitching. Coco tells the adults three books worth of backstory. At the end, Coco's mother refuses to believe her. Mr. Adler points out that Coco's not a liar and that she's not the kind of kid to imagine a ghostly stalker who controls the supernatural other world. Okay, he asks Coco what she needs from them to help her and the boys. And, uh, well, an audience with Tim this time without interruptions would be a good start. Good thing her mom's a journalist. A skeptical, trying-my-last-nerve journalist, but a journalist all the same. I don't know if it's just me, but I really don't like Coco's mom. I didn't like her in the last book either. Yeah. I think she's annoying, and she has no observational, environmental observational skills at all. She, Her personality seems at odds with her chosen profession. Totally. And I think Mr. Adler deserves better. I think that Mr. Adler... Is not perfect, but I think he is a contender for, like, one of the top three or top five favorite parents on this podcast for me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think he just deserves someone nicer. And she's just not nice. Yeah. And she's really fake with Ollie. I just don't like her. She just rubs me the wrong way. I don't I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a pony in this race. She's not going to be my potential stepmom, but I'm still just like, <laughs> I don't like her. She, she sucks. There was one moment I liked her, and even then, I feel like that was probably Brian's mom's influence more than hers, but we'll get there. Anyway, meanwhile at the carnival, Ollie's still trying to understand her surroundings. Anyway, in the haunted house, like outside of her room, there's uh, two doors labeled scraps and parts, beware. Uh, and she just stays away from them because you see beware and you go, fair enough, stay away from it. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, she's learned. <laughs> she's like, I've been through three books of BS. So I'm not going anywhere near that. So out on the grounds, she notices that the carnies never speak. And when Ollie asks the smiling man about this, he's evasive about it because of course he is. Uh, she witnesses a boy try to steal one of the creepy, overly detailed doll prizes. And then later she doesn't see the kid anywhere. So Ollie accuses the smiling man of making people disappear. He goes all J. Jonah Jameson. They do not. I resent that. People disappear from everywhere, but not from my creepy carnival. <laughs> I'm proud of that impression. Sir, this is slander. It is not. I resent that. <laughs> slander is spoken. In writing, it's libel. <laughs> okay. Ollie explores the parts room, and shockingly, it's full of broken dolls and doll parts. Cue Courtney Love. Uh, well, she's avoided it long enough, but Ollie's left with no choice. If she wants answers, she's going to have to explore this place at night. While she's out and about, no one can see her except an older teenage girl named Morgan. Morgan is actually one of the creepy, overly detailed dolls. The dolls are people! They get let loose one at a time at night to find a series of keys which will free them. They just need to dodge the clowns hunting them through the fairgrounds. The fucking what now? Ollie and Morgan <laughs> run around dodging. 
Holly and Morgan run around dodging slashing creepy clowns that Pennywise would probably tell to chill out. The girls run back to Ollie's haunted house, both for safety and because Morgan says the first key is in the doll parts room. Morgan discovers the key, but she's nabbed by a clown. Before she turns back into a doll, she tosses the key to Ollie. Ollie breaks out a window and climbs up onto the roof to escape the clowns. Too bad there's a giant clown skeleton up there, too. It gets pretty harrowing, but Ollie remembers to leave. Uh, she remembered earlier to leave her window open, so she's able to swing herself inside. Ollie survived and has the first key, but she's going to need all the therapy, and frankly, dude, same. Dude. I was like, I hate all of this. Yeah, once we got to, like, massive skeleton clown crawling across the rooftop or whatever, I was like, no, no, no! Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the clowns are very upsetting. I did have a visceral reaction to it. But I'll get to because there's another clown attack later in the book, which I argue is more horrible. But they were reminding me of this stupid 80s movie that, like, I've watched part of, but I've never gotten the nerve to sit through all of it. Is it Killer and it's Clowns? called Killer Clowns from Outer, from Outer Space. Space. Yeah, I have seen it. I, I wasn't able to do it. <laughs> I, 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 no, doesn't, doesn't, don't they turn them into peanuts? So not turning them into dolls, they're turning them into big peanuts. Maybe. It was a long time ago. It was, like, in high school. Yeah, that's definitely a movie you watch in high school. Yeah. I was, like, in my... <laughs> it came on TV when I was, like, junior high, high school, and I didn't... I tried to watch it, and I, like, finked out. Just like, ah, I can't. It's clowns. Bleh. And, like, my friend Karina, like, told me about it, and, and I was just like, I'm so glad I didn't sit through that. Because she told me about some horrible part where, like, the clown was using a guy as a ventriloquist dummy. The hand was, like, inside the guy's body, and, like, he pulls his hands out. The clown pulls the hand out of the guy's back and, like, flicks the blood. Oh, God. Like, I I didn't even see that part, but I'm picturing it in detail just from how she described it. And I was like, cool, my life is ruined from hearing that. (sighs) But actually, uh, I made that crack about Pennywise telling them to chill out. I don't think he would. I think he'd tell them them they need to dial it up. He's like, oh, cool, so you haunt people in your car, you, like hunt people in your carnival and they'd be like yeah we do that and like and then you kill them they're like no we turn them into dolls and he goes you do what <laughs> it's a dolls okay and then you like eat their soul or what and like no just we have a nice doll now and then we hand them out its prizes and they're like i don't talk to me <laughs> benny Weiss gets in his little clown car and drives away Several times in this book, the first time being in this segment here, uh, I wrote Go Coco because she was my hero in a lot of the book. Um, I know she so was. I love Coco so much. She's my favorite character in this whole series. Yeah. So, like, I felt I felt a lot of, like, tension lifted off me as a reader when they finally start to tell the parents what's going on. Same. Um, Same. And then when she finishes talking and... uh, her mom is like, if this is a prank, it's an extremely hurtful one. And then Coco's response is, Mom, this is me. Have I ever played a prank ever in my whole life? It's so, like, how do you not... I've had this experience before where somebody has, like, responded to me in a way that seems to forget that they know who I am, and they're just responding to, like, what they would expect out of the situation. And it's like, you know who I am, so you should probably process that information, too. Uh, and so I, I really felt the the frustration that she had there. 
And then uh, Mr. Oh, Adler no, is... I, no, like, I did. Yeah. But Mr. And Adler's I think got her Mr. back. Mr. Adler... I don't think it's altruistic, though. I think he wanted to believe Ollie was alive. And then uh, Coco's mom kind of calls him out for it later. It's like, you're only listening to it because your child's dead. And then he's like, okay. But even though I'd be like, get out of my house, you rotten bitch. Like, yeah, I th- horrible I, thing to save me. I think both are true in this situation. I think he definitely is grabbing at whatever he can for hope that his daughter is still alive. But I think he also... I I think he's also willing to entertain the idea that as crazy as something sounds, like, he has not known these kids to be deceptive like that. Right. Well, that's how he can justify it, though. Yeah. Because it's it's just, because it's like, these aren't shitty kids who are all like, I'm going to prank my dad for my YouTube channel, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, really nice, and he's like, something's been stressing them out for months, and if this would be the thing that would stress you out, like, because who do you go to with this? You can't go to anybody. Yeah, for so, sure. So, yeah. But I do think mostly it was... He, I think he does like Coco as a kid, because how could you not? She's awesome. But I think it's mostly motivated by, I really want my one family member of mine to not be dead. Yeah. Either way, though, in the moment, it was just nice to have somebody backing Coco up. Um, for real. I was just... Especially since her mom didn't have her back. Yeah. Oh, she sucks. Zelda. <laughs> There's, There's no a, legend of you except being mean. There are only two Zeldas that we will permit in this world. One is all the different incarnations in those games, and the other one is Robin Williams' daughter. No more. That was the, immediately the two Zeldas I thought of. Those are the only two we will accept. Um, <laughs> back in Ollie's story, I like seeing her actively, like, wisen up now that she's interacted with the Smiling Man so frequently, and so she knows his games and can kind of play around them in how she asks questions and gathers information and the things that she does. It was really cool to see that progression. Yeah. Like, figuring out his tells and, like, oh, he might be in a mood to tell me something now, or maybe not. I'm not going to get anything out of him today. Yeah. Or being like, well, he answered the question in this way, you know what, that doesn't exclude, and then, you know, having to, like, run through, like, okay, now, you said this, but do you actually mean, and then he'll be like, okay, no, you will not, there will be no harm, I will, I will clarify that for you, because you know I'm a dirty, filthy liar. (laughs) Real. Uh, uh, anything else? Uh, no, the rest of my notes are just me writing in various forms of no thank you uh, to everything yeah. involving the clowns. Oh, God, those, those, those were bad. Yeah, like, bad good, but, like, bad. Yeah. Um, so, when Brian and his folks get home, they find that they've been burgled as well. At least Brian's room has been, not anything else. The cops come and are like, wow, weird. This is the third kid's room we've seen today. And all when Tim Jenkins mysteriously appears. Oh, well, bye. Brian's mom has more of a hunch than these dumbass cops and calls Mr. Adler to find out that Coco and Ollie's rooms were the ones mentioned by the cops. She also knows that Coco sang like a canary and wants Brian to come clean. He refuses and locks himself in the bathroom to call Coco to confront her. Coco's like, yeah, I told we need to strategize. Let's get Phil on this call. Poor Phil is almost offended that his room's fine and admits that he feels like a Kroger brand dolly. We stand a self-aware king. 
Hoku assures him that he's a valued member of the group and that the smiling man only did what he did to get Ollie's watch. So that changes everything. Coco brought the adults in since they need all the help they can get. Uh, the kids agree to meet up at some lame-ass parade the next day after Coco talks to Tim. But that doesn't quite work out. Uh, Coco and the adults are able to get into the hospital and the, get the all-clear from the nurse to see Tim. But the smiling man takes control of their elevator and they end up on the floor where uh, they used to lock up people with mental illnesses. The smiling man turns up himself as Officer Fear and taunts Coco. The adults are oblivious, walking down a seemingly endless hallway. The smiling man tries to talk Coco into giving up her search for Ollie. He can clear her mind of her friend and Mr. Adler can be your dad. Won't that be nice? Coco isn't made of stone, so she feels a little swayed, but only a little. She wants Ollie back, so he changes tack and tries to get her to promise to stay if he takes her to where Ollie is. And uh, if she promises to stay, then they both have to promise to stay. Coco is like, WTF with this rule-changing shit. We want our chance to win back Ollie. The smiling man is like, oh, fine, and takes her and the parents back to the elevator. Uh, the parents seem to have no memory of anything that just happened in the last few minutes, and they don't want to see Tim anymore. Oh, smiling man, shaking fist. Ollie's having her issues with the smiling man as well. He said she'd be safe in her rooms, but now that the clowns are aware of her presence, they spent all night tapping in at her sitting room door and giggling. That's bad enough, but the skelly clown also stuck his arm in her window, so Ollie spent a sleepless night in the bathroom until dawn. The smiling man shows up in the morning and cleans up Ollie's wounds from the busted window. He refuses to take responsibility for what happened because he warned her not to leave her room at night, but Ollie's badly shaken up and she feels kind of betrayed since they've been hanging out so much. She thought they were at least friendly, if not friends. She goes all stranger things on him and says, friends don't lie, and he lies by omission all the time. So, after asking her to promise to stay, the smiling man gets shot down once again, and he goes for emotional manipulation. He shows Ollie, her dad, and Coco, and Coco's mom being a happy family. She's heartbroken by this scene, wondering why she gave up her life for her dad when he doesn't even seem to miss her. The smiling man's all, still want to go home so bad? I'll just let you stew in this for a while. Bro, if you need friends so bad, just download Tinder BFF, because what you're doing now is so gross. Yeah, this was this was a hard one. I felt bad for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I told you about, I think on like a, one of the episodes, I said the villains who know exactly what button to push to manipulate in that way is like one of my favorite things. Right. Because it just makes them so much more cruel and mean for doing that. And that's exactly what he was doing here. Yes. Because you don't want to see your dad being a dad to somebody else. That's your dad. Yeah. Coco and... Brian are on the phone together, and they're, she, Coco's like, uh, should we add Phil to the call? And I just had flashbacks to middle school, which was the last time I think I used that function. <laughs> I didn't even know they still had it. Right? <laughs> it's such a landline, like, three-way call, and then your mom gets the bill, and she's fucking mad that you did that. Yeah. My brother used to do that all the time, and, like, my mom got the phone bill, and she just hit the roof. They didn't know it cost money. Yeah. And she's like, I didn't even know our phone could do that. And I was like, I think you dial the numbers or something and it happens. I don't know, because I never did it. I also had to go yeah. through the growing pains of people having to, like, pay 10 cents per text message or something like that. Oh, right. Yeah. Let's see here. During that same conversation, I wrote another Go Coco because uh, at first oh. the boys are, like, mad at her for 
telling the parents and they're like, why didn't you trust us and, and go to them first? And she's like, trust you. Why don't you trust me for making this decision? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Back yourself up, Coco. Go for it. Um, for real. Like one of them is missing. One of them is gone. We need all hands on deck, folks. Yeah. And then (laughs) Phil goes, Hey, it would really be something, wouldn't it? If something bad happened while we were all on the phone fighting over something that's already done. And I'm like, go, Phil. Thank you. I know. <laughs> Look at Phil stepping in, just like, don't break up this group. You're my only friends. Don't quit the podcast. Don't quit the podcast. Uh, the end of this same chapter also includes, uh, Phil says, everyone lock their doors. And how does it go? Sleep with one eye open? And then, of course, I had to write the rest of Enter Sandman. We're off to Never Neverland. Yes, thank you. Okay, that's, that's the. Oh rhyme. my god, there's a a story I want to tell that has nothing to do with this book, but it's about that. I just mentioned my friend Karina earlier, mm-hmm. but, uh she was like a Metallica fan, mm-hmm. and uh, I gave her like my dad's Metallica cassettes because I was like, I'm not gonna listen to this shit, and she like took it and liked them, and. Uh, I was asking her, like, how she liked the tapes, and she's like, oh, she really liked them. And, like, this guy we kind of knew, like, kind of joined us as we were walking, and he kind of heard the tail end of the conversation and was just like, you're a Metallica fan? Really? To my friend. And oh, she's no. like, yeah, yeah, I am. And he goes, okay, what song is this lyric from? No! What? Isn't the most basic bitch question? Like, I got that question. <laughs> like, I got that. Like, we both went, like, that's Enter Sandman. And I was just like, I can't believe that was your gatekeeper question. <laughs> Biggest mainstream hit at that time. I bet, okay, I bet they won't get this one. What what song are the lyrics for whom the bell tolls from? <laughs> Such a jackass. Oh. I made a note during uh, one of the Smiley Man scenes about the uh, the cycles of gaslighting and abuse that poor Ollie is going through um, whenever yes. he talks. It's so, like, kids, if you recognize anything about any of your friendships or family relationships or anything in the Smiling Man, go get help. Yes. Um, and then at the end of that chapter, I wrote that he's so sinister in this book, specifically because of how manipulative he is, but it's also, he's also becoming strangely more human, like, as, as Ollie spends more time with him and talks with him more and starts to realize a little bit more about why he does the things he does. It's just, it's an, it's an interesting arc for the Smiling Man. I wasn't necessarily expecting him to have an arc, you know? Because, like, he just kind of struck me as a sort of, like, entity- and not necessarily somebody that you would see progression from in any kind of direction, but yeah. Maybe that's why he keeps kind of asking these people, like, please stay so I don't have to be an entity that I can just be a person for a bit. Yeah. Please. And they're all like, no, your clown show sucks. And he's like, <laughs> I don't like them either. And it's like, well, get rid of them, sir. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> okay. Um, we're ready for the next section? Mm-hmm. All right. Our girl, Ollie, has been investigating the funhouse, but hasn't seen anything that could be the second key. Of course, these searches always happen in the day, so Ollie decides to search the place at night. The smart thing to do is hole up in there during the day so she doesn't have to try to get across the carnival grounds at night. The smiling man somehow knows her plan, because of course he does, 
Annie tries to discourage her, telling her that at night there's no way out. Ollie exasperatedly suggests he come with her, but he won't. He just looks angry and uncertain, which prompts Ollie to ask him why he does all of this. To her surprise, in mine, he actually answers, and I was just going to read that section because I thought it was good. He spoke slowly, as though weighing out each word before letting it fall. Once, a long time ago, it was easy to find yourself elsewhere. The world was, oh, what's the word? You say uncanny in English, I suppose. From the Scots, 16th century, unknowable. The world was uncanny. It was full of strange things. Strange people, strange worlds, ways behind the mist. People believed the world was uncanny, and their very conviction kept the ways open. There are fewer ways now, but some remain. The places where the world turns frightening, strange, sideways. And that's where you will find me, tricking people through the mist. That's my job, if you like, to keep the way between worlds open. It's a really interesting sort of thing that le- it, like, I'm assuming that there aren't going to be any more like stories in this series, but like it kind of leaves this world open to like the strange I, corners. I feel like there could be. I'm okay. I have like thoughts what I'm going to say later, but like, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. It kind of does leave it kind of open, but this is definitely like a closed story at this. Yes. Uh, after this book, but okay, undeterred, Ollie heads into the funhouse, probably never coming back. At least that's kind of her mental belief. Yeah. Um, else, elsewhere in the narrative, uh, the other characters gather for the town parade. The kids climb up into a tree for a better view. Phil's little, little brother Mikey is with them. He loves cows and is disappointed that Phil isn't made of snacks. Because, <laughs> like, Phil, like, Mikey's like, I'm hungry. And Phil's like, does it look like I'm made of snacks? And I'm like, God, that's such an older sibling response. <laughs> okay. Um, the parade starts normally with cheerleaders, local figures, and cows shitting in the street. Then a giant clown head balloon comes along, attached to a float full of faded-looking people in baggy clothes. They throw candy to the crowd while scanning their surroundings for something. The kids pick up on Smiling Man vibes instantly. Mikey, unfortunately, doesn't. He hops out of the tree to go get the free candy, since apparently his older brother isn't made of snacks. Phil and the others follow him, of course, and the creepy clown float people spot them, including the Smiling Man in the crowd. In that instant, the cows go wild. Phil and Mikey are injured in the incident, Phil breaking his leg and little Mikey his arm. Once they leave the hospital, the families gather up at the egg to tell the parents what's up. Um, once they hear the story, the parents react indignantly, Brian's parents even angrily. All the supernatural stuff doesn't sink in, and they really leap on Officer Fear being the smiling man. They plan to put in a complaint against him at the police department, and Phil's dad, the lawyer, is ready to get litigious up in this bitch. But it's too late. The lights go out, and they're attacked by the clowns. The parents go down swinging, fighting off the clowns so the kids can hide upstairs. But one by one, they're each turned into dolls. The kids and Mrs. Greenblatt shut themselves upstairs. They think they're safe until a clown under the bed grabs Mrs. Greenblatt's ankle and dollifies her and little Mikey, too. Brian tries to fight the clown and ends up uh, with no weapons, so she sort of desperately throws water in its face. Uh, the clown's face does, uh, just melts, and it's blinded. Brian throws a blanket over the clown and knocks it to the bed, and the kids move to the guest room, which catches the notice of the other clowns. Uh, they know they can't stay in the house. Coco suggests climbing down the trellis, and Brian shuts down the idea because Phil can't do it with his broken leg. 
but Phil remembers me calling him a less cool stand-in for Ollie, and he wants to be a hero. So he says he's staying behind to hold the door shut so the others can get away. Brian doesn't feel great about this plan, but he and Coco leave him, and they hear Phil screams as they get their bikes out of the garage and pedal away like this is Stranger Things or some shit. Too bad they don't have a Steve Harrington and his nail bat as they head off to the carnival, which for sure will be crawling with more evil clowns. When they're telling Should we the... loan out Steve Harrington? <laughs> hey, to stickheads, leave, leave the kids alone, and he starts just smashing them with his bat. <laughs> um, or when... Dustin's, like, behind him, and they, like, stole, like, a fire truck, and he's like, go, Steve, go, and, like, spins the thing, and then, like, water shoots out of the hose and all the clowns. You know that would happen. Oh, yeah. When um they're telling the parents, and they just hone in on the, like, there's been a shady character harassing you. And, like, yeah, they, they hone in on the, the officer. I just wrote, guys, he's magic! Why are you missing this part? Like, they went into a haunted orphanage through a mirror while you were sleeping. Like, come on! Because they would have told them that. I also wrote, nope, next to the, uh, when, when the clown hand comes out from under the bed. That was, uh, not okay. Yeah. Oh my, like the clowns doing their goofy, like, shtick, like pretending like, oh, I was hurt by the fire poker, and then smirking and like, like doing like the, shh, don't tell your dad that didn't hurt, when they're like, it's doing nothing, we need to escape. Like, I was getting so freaked out during that scene, I like, I put the book down, and kind of like frantically like clicked around on my computer, like, please work up here so I have something to do, and I'm not <laughs> reading this. So, that was my getting up and shutting the door and locking it. <laughs> Oh my god, when they're just, she's sitting on the bed and they see the hand come out and close around her ankle. I was like, cool, that ruined my life. Thank you. I hated it. Thanks, but I hate like really it. really good, but I hated it. Thanks, I hate it. Yeah. Oh god, I hate clowns so much. Yeah, Ugh. they're the worst. Whoever invented them just needs to be slapped. Well, they're probably dead. Good. <laughs> okay. This next section's pretty short. Well, turns out the fun house ain't so fun. Ollie finds a ghost who keeps smashing his face into a wall, and there's frantic writing on one of the mirrors simply saying, let me out. Ollie soon finds out why the ghost is doing what he's doing. When she sees in the mirrors, she sees Brian and Coco enchanted into scarecrows forever. Even worse is when the mirror shows the fiery plane crack that killed her mother. Uh, so focusing on finding a key amid such horrific psychological psychological warfare is pretty much not going to happen. Good thing Coco and Brian are on the way, wearing headlamps and wielding loaded water guns from Phil's house. They make it all the way to the fairgrounds when the clowns show up hilariously enough in a clown car. <laughs> they chase the kids through a cornfield until Brian shoots one in the face and they escape into the carnival. They're greeted by the smiling man who doesn't seem happy with his clown goons. Anyway, the rules of the game. They need to find all three keys before morning. If they do so, they and everyone trapped by the carnival get to go free. If they don't, they have to stay forever. Okay, dude, seriously, if you need friends so badly, sign up for a class. Join a club. Literally do anything except this. Coco wants to ask three questions before agreeing to anything, but the smiling man will only answer one. She asks where the keys are, and of course he gives stupid-ass vague answers. In a pocket in the music box, and the final one doesn't exist until the first two are together. With that question half-assedly answered, the game is on. That was another Go Coco moment for me, where she's, like, bargaining with him yes. about the, uh, 
the questions. And then she just yeah, is like, okay, a, well, what's like, the answer? No haggling. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, but you're the one who wants to play. <laughs> For real. Um, oh, when they get to the fourth, you started it. No, you started it. Yeah. <laughs> whole argument. I'm like, bro, you started it. What are you supposed to do? Sit quietly on the bus until you turned all of them into scarecrows? No, you <laughs> you started it. Such a jerk. And then when when he when she when she's like, okay, I want I want you to answer some questions before we do this, and he's like, there's no haggling, that's unseemly. And she's like, you won't talk about unseemly. Literally everything you've done for three books now, four books now, unseemly. unseemly my eye. <laughs> Oh, I wanted to say the only time I liked um, Coco's mom was when she and Brian's mom, like, like they kind of just look at each other and then they, like, launch down the stairs at the clowns and knock them over. I was like, that was probably mostly just Brian's mom. Yeah. Because <laughs> she was like, none of the parents were super happy with the story that they told. But, like, his parents were furious. Yes. Just, like, this, they were, they were livid. Like, if he'd shown up smirking, she'd have punched him in the dick. Like, that's how mad his parents were. But, yeah, first and prob, and, and last time, I liked Coco's mom was. I was gonna say, what do you mean, probably him. last? <laughs> Definitely last. Okay. We're gonna close us out with this last bit. We ready? I think so. Okay. Here we go. Since Coco and Brian have no idea where they should go, they decide to ride the Ferris wheel to get a lay of the land. Uh, no one can see them, except the clowns, unfortunately, so they have to play keep away the whole way to the ride. <clears throat> From up above, they spot the haunted house and remember the first clue was ghost, so figure that's the first place they should look. But first they have to slide down the pole and escape because the clock statue clown is trying to grab them. Why are any of us surprised by anything anymore? <laughs> Like, I was just picturing, like, all the clowns gathering at the bottom of the ride because they know where the kids are. So, you know? Yeah. So that's what I was picturing. But then the, that thing shows up, and I was like, oh, that's why they're not swarming, because they're all like, oh, Tiny's got this. So the kids book it to the haunted house while dodging giant clown feet and arrive to find more clowns. Great. So they run into one of the rooms, which must be the parts beware room, because the place is full of defective clowns, which still try to grab the kids. The non-defective clowns follow them into the room, and the kids escape into what they correctly surmise to be Ollie's rooms. Uh, she's left them a message by tearing pages out of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, letting them know that she's in the funhouse. Uh, they refill their water guns, and Coco and Brian set off to rescue Ollie. And not a moment too soon, since the funhouse mirrors showing Ollie images of her dad dying and her friends talking shit about her. Uh, by the time Coco and Brian find her, she's got a shoe off trying to smash the mirror. Uh, the kids tearfully reunite, and using the power of friendship, they reassure each other that the mirror images aren't real. Ollie shows them she has the key in her pocket, meaning the smiling man's words were true. They now have to find a music box, so logically, they follow the constantly playing carnival music to its source, a big square mirror with a keyhole in it. The mirror opens into an octagon-shaped room where they find a music box open and containing the key. If this was Fablehaven, there would be a two-chapter struggle here, but mercifully, they get the key from the music box without incident, and there's even the added bonus of the shitty music stopping. <laughs> they find a keyhole in one of the walls, and once that's opened, they're outside. There's no one around on the carnival grounds, not even clowns. The only person they see, of course, is a smiling man waiting at the gate. This dude still asked them to stay. Bro, what the hell is this, labyrinth? All that's missing is the troubling adolescent sexual tension. 
Ollie doesn't even respond verbally to him and touches the two keys together. So they fuse into one. She makes the smiling man promise to F off for real this time. And he agrees unless they call him. Hun, that's not happening. I get that you feel like you've gotten to know these kids and that they've been worthy adversaries for like a year now, but I suggest picking up a hobby if you're so bored. Anyway, the smiling man gives Ollie her watch back, then snaps his fingers. This causes a rain that melts his carnival. He didn't seem to like the place all that much anyway, so good riddance, I guess. The kids go through the gate and end up back inside the egg, where their parents and Phil are just chilling at a table. The parents have no memory of anything that's happened and are baffled as to why their kids are hugging them while soaking wet and crying. Phil remembers, though. Pepperidge Farms remembers. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) The adults send the kids up to change their clothes, and Phil tags along. Upstairs, they acknowledge their success in escaping the Smiling Man was a team effort. Their experiences made them more than just friends, but a family. Before going upstairs, Ollie had noticed her dad holding Coco's mom's hand under the table. A book ago, such a sight would have really hurt Ollie, but now that she's witnessed all her fears play out over and over, and having their group come together to save her, she's a much more secure and happy kid than we met in book one. Ollie turns to Coco and asks if she thinks they'll be sisters someday, which pretty much makes Coco's life. Even Mom Watch lets Ollie know that she's proud of her. On that note, this four-book ordeal these poor children have suffered through is finally over. Unless there's a sequel series with the kids in high school and for some reason they need to call the Smiling Man. The end. See, I think I think that'd be really cool. I was just like, why would they need to call the Smiling Man, though? And I came up with this whole idea, probably because I like referenced Labyrinth, but I was like, okay, so Mr. Adler and Coco's mom get married. They have another kid. Some other entity or whatever steals the baby. And Coco and Ollie are like, okay, this all points supernatural. It's the smiling man. And he shows up. It's like, swear to God, it's not me. And they're like, you want to help us find this baby? And it just goes from there. Like, I think that'd be cool. Yeah. But if this is where it stops, that's fine. I'm good with it stopping here. Yeah. <laughs> it was abrupt. My last note the book, and it was, okay, this is a good book, but also that's it? Because, like, they have their final confrontation with him on page, like, 202, and then the book is over by 205, and I'm like, that just feels so, like... There's, like, no denouement. There's, like, nothing. It's just... just Yeah. It's just, like, the end, and you're like, hold hold on. Yeah, like, you've been struggling with this guy for a full year, and, like, this is... Hmm. Like, is Tim okay? Did his sister get home? Like, is there anything that we can... Okay. I mean, I'm surmising he is, because right. their actions were supposed to release everyone from the carnival, but I'd like a little bit more reassurance that that happened. Yeah. Um, I saw someone complaining on Goodreads that there was lots of plot holes in this, and by lots of plot holes, they mean that the Smiling Man was never explained. I don't want him explained. I think it's such a bad idea. All these people are obsessed with origin stories for villains. We don't fucking need those. If you go back and look at, like, uh, all these film franchises that like horrors and stuff, the very worst ones are always the ones where they attempt origin stories. Yeah, even outside always. of like There's horror like, stuff, like I did not need to know how Maleficent came to be. I just wanted her to be this just wicked, like monstrous witch. You know, I didn't need to. For real, I mean, I did like that movie, but did we need it? No, we didn't need it. Yeah, like it. Angelina Jolie is, like, a good actress, but, like, I didn't... That was not a necessary movie in any capacity. 
No. I don't want to know why. They just are. And I, I like the idea of the smiling man, like, what he is when he's like, you know, oh, uh, that word that you got, you know, like, how would you describe it? Like, in English, you'd call it that. Like, I'd like to think he's an entity so old that he predates modern English. Right, or so universal that he's used to other terms for it. You know, like, outside of... Well, I like, the, the... I like mine better, but... Okay. <laughs> but, like... because, well, like, does the smiling man show up in, like, China or... You know, Nigeria or Russia? Maybe. And like, and he's still smiling and has light-colored eyes. Yeah. And they're like, I know who that asshole is. Oh, geez. It's raining, so we need to stay to the small spaces and don't go into the big space. Like, whatever they said in the first book. But, <laughs> yeah, no origins for the smiling man. I don't care. I don't want to know. I hate when people, like, like, I remember seeing people, like, saying they hated the movie Cloverfield because they didn't know why the monster was there or, like, anything else that happened. I go, that's what made it interesting. Here is my... Because... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I just have a very specific thing towards giant monster movies, which is that, yeah. it, in my head, giant monster movies, or, like, most, any sort of, like, monster movie with something like that... I think of them as being akin to a natural disaster. There's not an explanation or a reason. You just are afraid of it, and you just have to hope for the best. So when they try to explain it, or they try to shoot it with guns, like, that immediately kills any interest I have. Like, yeah. I'm so much more interested in the idea of, like... Like, that's why I think the new Godzilla movies aren't as great as they could be, because... I don't know, they keep just trying to, like, shoot it with stuff, and I'm like, stop it! Stop trying to bring your military nonsense into this, it's not gonna work. Just, like, just run away in fear. <laughs> run away in fear. It's Godzilla, this is his land now. Um, so yeah, like, it's, it's good, I think I liked it more than I liked... The last one? I think this is probably my second favorite volume, personally. Yeah, I thought this was really, really good. And, like, everyone had something to do. Yeah. Which was like your beef with the second one because you didn't like that Brian got sidelined. Which which they addressed and Brian felt bad about. He still feels bad about it. Like Actually, it was to still be, referenced in this book. To be fair, I don't know if he had a whole lot to do in this one besides telling his parents that they he couldn't tell them what was going on. Well he's still actively running around and part of the action. Right, like he's at stuff, least there so I count this that. time. <laughs> like he's not the planner, that's Coco. Like yeah. that was never his strength. Yeah. And I love, like, Coco just staring him down, and Brian's like, I recognize her face, because that's the face she makes when she's playing chess, trying to figure out, like, the next person's potential move. So she's just, like, shrewdly staring him down. Like, Coco, like, is really in touch with her emotions and, like, cries at the drop of a hat. But she's so steely. Like, I feel like she'd be, like, this really cool FBI agent when she grows up and, like, just kind of sits down in front of some, like, drug lord or whatever and just stares him down until, like, the guy just breaks and tells her everything he needs and she needs to know. Like, yeah, she's I, so good. I think Ollie is supposed to be, broadly speaking, the main character because, you know, it's her yeah. mom's watching all of that. But I think Coco's the true hero. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's got, like, what's it called, like, second lead syndrome or something, where, like, they're not supposed to be the lead, but they kind of start taking over, and they seem like the more interesting character. Yeah. Not that Ollie's boring, but, like... Right. I think Coco speaks to me and you, like, more than Ollie does. And, like, Brian and, and Phil are just jocks, so, like, we're just <laughs> like, I don't know, I got nothing for you. Hey, who do you think needs the most therapy after this? Is it Ollie, or is it, uh... 
Is it is it Paul? Phil. Paul? Mean Phil? Phil. Phil. Probably Phil, because we can't even remember his name. And not only did he get... He got turned into a scarecrow and a doll. And a doll! But at least he doesn't remember anything about being a doll. Because he's just like, yeah, I remember the struggle, and then the next thing I know, I'm here at the table. I don't think his leg is still broken. Because it wasn't like, you know, he stumped up the stairs after them, or he struggled with his crutches. So it's just like... Okay, so they're back at the egg. Did, like, everything erase? Did they get to go to a normal carnival now? One weird trick to instantly heal a broken leg. Doctors don't want you to know. (laughs) Let a clown turn you into a doll. (laughs) Doctors hate them. (laughs) Just like these clowns with their nasty claws. Ugh. Yeah, really great description of the clowns. And like their whole miming thing, like the two of them, like like bumping each other at the bottom of the stairs and going after you, oh yeah. no, after you. And I was just like, I hate you. Stop doing that. Don't like this shit. <laughs> you could suck. So what do we give this one? Um, does four sound fair? I think four sounds fair. I think though, I being my second favorite volume, I I think that's pretty good place to to slot it in. Yeah. But yeah, even though it. Like, even though as an ending to the series, like, I would have wanted a little bit more, um, kind of wind down without, like, explanation of the Spider-Man, just a little bit more wind down for the characters and stuff. I still definitely recommend it as a series for people to read. I think there's a lot to enjoy. I think the characters are pretty memorable. Um, and a lot of the individual, like, images, I think, have kind of stuck with us. So. And if you have any kids in your life who, like, are really into Stranger Things, I think this is a good book series to give them. Yeah. It has the same vibes without being 80s. Yeah. So yeah, that's the Small Spaces Quartet. That's Empty Smiles. We're all done with that one. We really... Come on, Amari, don't fail us. We need more series. For real, please. I don't I don't know. I hope that, does, that series doesn't falter, because that first book was so good. Right? So next month we are reading The Night Gardener by Jonathan Oxier? The French name. I have no idea how many letters to pronounce in it, because all of these are letters that you could conceivably not say in a French word. Yeah. It's A-U-X-I-E-R. I don't know which ones are supposed to be said, but we're reading The Night Gardener. Yeah, it's another spooky book, so hope you're not sick of those yet. <laughs> I think we get to some more lighthearted stuff after that. Yeah, hopefully. Do you want to do the Let's outro, say, yeah, or do you want me to do it? <laughs> Ah, uh, you knew it. I'm okay. sorry. I, I, I just kind of did the intro to bug you, I guess. I don't That's know. That's okay. Hello, Fellow Kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh. Music provided by Ben Ash. You can visit him at benash.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at hfkpodcast at gmail.com. We are, we are also... <laughs> email us. Email. Uh, please send us electric eels. I really need to cut down on my electricity bill. Uh, we are also periodically on Twitter and Instagram at HFK Podcast, and we will see you next month with The Night Gardener. Bye. Bye.